0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly. Written and narrated by Becky Kaiser, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Welcome back to the Grace Enough Podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. If you were a longtime listener, Thank you for spending your valuable time with me, week in and week out. It really does matter to me, and words do not adequately express my gratitude. This week, I talked to fellow podcaster, Stephanie Roussel. Stephanie grew up in France and was content and happy with her atheist worldview. As a high school foreign exchange student, she encountered Jesus for the first time, and today she shares about that journey. You will also hear about how her experience living in different cultures has impacted the way she teaches and studies God's Word. Stephanie leads Gospel Spice Ministries, and it was interesting when I was on her YouTube page, I saw a friend of mine, Heidi, speaking on her behalf. I reached out to Heidi, and this is what she had to say, Stephanie is one of the best leaders ever. She allowed me to teach often and was outstanding in developing future leaders. What a testimony and a compliment of how Stephanie pours into other women and their teaching and handling of God's word. But before we dive into this week's conversation, I want to ask if Grace Enough has been a valuable resource in your life. If the answer is yes, would you consider supporting the show to help me continue putting out valuable content? You can now donate as little as $5 to help cover the cost of the podcast by visiting buymeacoffee.com forward slash grace enough. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash grace enough. Thank you for your support. Now for episode 107 with Stephanie Roussel, When an Atheist Encounters God. Good morning, Stephanie, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Oh, Amber, I can't begin to tell you
0: how excited I am to be with you today.
1: I know we've had such a great conversation before, and sometimes I think I should record those conversations, but then they probably wouldn't be near as intimate uh, if we did that. So... Let's jump in. You go ahead, introduce yourself, your family to our listeners and tell everybody a little bit about what you do.
0: Sure. So thanks for that opportunity. You probably are hearing already that I am not American. I have an accent. I'm French, uh, born and bred, you know, raised in France. I came to the U.S. as a foreign exchange student when I was 16, and I was at the time a very strong, convinced, committed, devoted atheist which means that it wasn't just something that had been passed on to me by my family, even though my dad in particular uh, was a very strong atheist, but it was something that I had researched and decided to take as my worldview. And so I also came to the U.S. because I wanted to learn English. Uh, as you can say, as you can tell, I'm still, you know, working on my accent, but it's been like 30 years. and I've Keep your up. accent, girl. <laughs> Keep your accent. Thanks. I'm learning to see it as, uh, it's, you know, Like Jacob, you know, when he limps with the Lord, sometimes our weaknesses are God's strength. And so I'm learning, I'm learning that. But I became a Christian because my American mom and dad, who had the amazing kindness of hosting me for my senior year of high school, were very strong, devoted Christians. And so as a result of my interactions with them, and we can go into that if you want to, I ended up giving my life to the Lord, which was a painful process because Mm -hmm. this girl is very full of self. Still am, still working on that, um, still allowing the Lord to uh, teach me to die daily to self so he can be, um, He can give me his life. But it's, it's a daily process for me because I'm a slow learner. Gosh, I'm stubborn. My husband would tell you the French are stubborn, and <laughs> I am very much in my genetic pool with that. Um, anyway, I came to faith, got baptized because I was afraid going back to France that I would forget my faith, my newfound baby faith, because I had never met a Christian in France, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really thought I was the very first French Christian ever, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I went back to France, uh, still dripping wet from my baptism as a a stone of remembrance. I realized later that this is what I had been doing. For me, my baptism was the stone of remembrance of... This is what the Lord has done for me. And my faith at that moment in time was real. And that did keep me through very dry seasons in France. This is all pre-internet. So it's not like I could yes. email or Google anything. Um, then I went to college, met my amazing, handsome husband. And uh, we this is almost 25 years ago. We have two children that are uh, young adults, um, 17 and 19 year olds. And so that's where we are. And I've spent the last two decades um, on three continents, four countries, and five cities. We've lived in France. We've lived in North Africa. We've lived in the UK. And we are now residing in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and we're
1: going to talk a little bit about that. But tell everybody also a little bit about Gospel Spice podcast. And really, it's much more than the podcast. So tell everybody a little bit about that before we dive into your story.
0: Sure. You know, God works in mysterious ways, and he has a knack for the creative and the unexpected. And so I never thought I would ever run a ministry. And we can talk about the fact that God often teaches us humility and dependence by making, at least in my case, most of our nevers come to pass. I was never going to have a Christian ministry. And here I am running a ministry by the skin of my teeth and by utter dependence on God. Like, but Gospel Spice Ministries was born um, out of a desire. Truly, Amber, when we moved to the States about five years ago, the only experiences I had had in the States were with my American mom and dad and their very strong, solid Christian circle. And that that was it. Every time we'd come to the U.S. for vacation or whatever, because we stayed very much connected with them. They were our spiritual parents and mentors. We really dived deep into this little Christian bubble Hmm. in suburban America. And it was wonderful. And to the point that my husband and I called it Narnia, because it was so different from what we experienced in France or in Africa or in England that it was our little bubble of Narnia. It felt like taking that plane was walking through the wardrobe and we would end up in this perfect land of Narnia here in America. And so when we moved here five years ago, Amber, we kind of thought we were moving to Narnia. Mm -mm. But we quickly realized, (laughs) nope, it's not Narnia. And uh, within two months of moving to the States, uh, we had the privilege of buying our house and also of me starting my job as the women's director for our local church here. And I realized very quickly, like, I really dove deep into the church here and what it was like to serve American women when I wasn't an American. And I really, like, dove in head first. I'm stubborn, as my husband would say, but I'm also very wholehearted. So I never do anything halfway. So I dove in, like, all in. And I fell in love with these women. Gosh, Amber, how I love these women. So I'm not the women's director anymore. I, I'm doing Gospel Spice now. But what it did is that first it gave me a hunger to share Christ with people whom I realized may be missing out maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I did, like we all miss out. Seriously, like I'm not judging anyone. We all miss out. There's so much more to life with Christ than I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. But that's just knowing that is amazing because it tells us that we can also always grow deeper in intimacy with him. There's no limit. The only limits are the ones we put on ourselves. And that word self is the primary thing we need to get rid of. And that's very much the case for me. And so I realized that it's not Narnia here. And a lot of people, because there isn't a whole lot of persecution against the Christian faith in the States yet and this isn't a prophetic word or anything, it's just I'm reading the news like everyone else. That's right. um, That means that we need to learn as 21st century Western Christians, we need to learn a little bit of endurance in our faith. We need to persevere. We need to realize what a blessing it is, but also not be afraid of some of the costs that might come with it. And therefore a lukewarm faith really isn't going to take us anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... In order to fight the own, my own lukewarmness of faith, I realized that I want to come alongside others that might have this lukewarmness. And therefore, if, if scripture isn't enthralling and enticing and it isn't this flavor explosion of fresh spices in your daily experience, then we're missing out. I'm missing out every day. I want it to be this amazing experience with God every day, and it's not. But right. what can I do to invite God deeper so that it is more and more like that. And that's how Gospel Spice was born, out of a desire to make scripture enticing, intriguing, enthralling with God Mm. and and to to serve others um, so we can do that together. And so that's how Gospel Spice Ministries was born. The Gospel Spice podcast um, was born out of a desire to share the spice of the gospel with others, to, to help people taste, common dishes, everyday fare, like the passages of scripture that you think you know super well and that there's nothing new to learn from, and realize, oh my goodness, we've barely scratched the surface. Yes. And the challenge is you can take any text, the most well-read, most treaded upon, the one you're most familiar with, like John three sixteen. And I am convinced by the help of the Holy Spirit, we can discover fresh truths that are going to blow our minds about the goodness of God, about his beauty, his glory, his magnificence, his meekness, all of that. And so that's what we do. And then Gospel Spice Ministries, we, um, we dream to partner at a deeper level with organizations that fight human trafficking, because we really believe that um, it's one thing to love the Lord your God with all of your strength and soul and mind. And that's what delighting in the gospel spices does. But then we also are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And for me, there are so many worthwhile causes in our world. But for me, I believe that as Western Christian women in particular, um, we truly have a unique place in our generation to be the most Prominent warriors against human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Because we're Christians, we are equipped with the spirit in ways that no one else is. Because we're women, and by and large, human trafficking targets women and children. So we have a, a compassion with the victims. And then because it's our generation, if we don't do it, who will? Yeah, yeah. And so because of that, that's it still is a bit of a dream. I wish it was much more um, hands-on than it is. But that's one of my dreams for the... For the months to come is to develop partnerships
1: well and that's the thing it's interesting to just think about the different spices and we'll da- you know dive into that a little bit but being the typical small town american that i am i grew up in kentucky which is not really the south but it kind of is the south where i grew up and so yes it was very much culturally christian Um, I didn't grow up in a strong Christian family, but that whole idea of Narnia, you would have still thought that was kind of Narnia because cultural Christianity was just very prevalent. Um, With that said, I don't remember when it was that I discovered or that someone taught me that, oh, the French, yes, they're one of the hardest nations, they're the hardest people to evangelize. And so your story speaks to that a little bit. And so take us back to your childhood. What was life like in France? What was it like growing up in an atheist family? And, you know, just to lay that foundation a little bit for our listeners.
0: Sure. So I'm glad to hear you grew up in Narnia. <laughs> this is nice <laughs> It was to not
1: Narnia, but you would have mm-hmm. thought it was. I
0: think. <laughs> yeah. And actually, you know, apart from the Christian spiritual perspective, I think I could say many people could have jumped into my childhood and thought it was a form of Narnia. Yeah. Uh, you know how, um, I mean, a lot of the clichés that might come to mind about the French, I'm afraid might be true. Some of the good and maybe some of the not so good. So I've mentioned the stubbornness and I've mentioned maybe a, a level of arrogance. I think um, we are genetically programmed to be arrogant and to think we are superior to other nations. But then again, what nation isn't? You I'm know, getting
1: ready to say, Americans might be known for that a bit too. <laughs>
0: Which might be why the relationship with the French and the Americans is a bit tumultuous because we both believe the same thing. And, you know, God, God loves a humble heart. And I believe that he teaches us his own meekness and humility uh, when we let him. And I've, I've learned to truly look at my own arrogance with a sense of humor because yeah. it's really laughable. Uh and so deeply ingrained. Um, so I've learned to laugh at it, because it's the best way to destroy it, I believe. But mm. uh, back to my childhood, I really had honestly a good childhood, that like, typical middle class French family, maybe very much like Kentucky, I grew up, um, you know, not really far from the Atlantic Ocean on our side of it. So right across the pond, and um, typical working family, my parents got divorced when I was 14 years old. So there was some very dysfunctional elements in my family my dad who was a huge influence um as a very patriarchal charismatic person also happened to be um an alcoholic and a womanizer and a um a very deeply narcissist at heart and so that taught me a lot about the dangers of self because he was extremely self-sufficient and Mm. self-confident and he's He he spoke all of that uh, self-centeredness and self-sufficiency into my life. And so I grew up a very self-sufficient young woman. That's a scary place. It truly is. Uh, Self-sufficiency is a dangerous place. I call that the curse of a capable woman because Mm -hmm. when you happen to be successful in what you do from a worldly perspective and uh, you succeed in the challenges that are placed before you, it breeds a lot of arrogance, a lot of self-sufficiency, and this is the very thing that needs to be crucified with Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, it took God in his unspeakable grace and kindness, it took God uprooting me from this French bubble of Yes, beauty and yes, a love for good food and spices and um, truly a sense of beauty in France that, that is real. Um, but he uprooted me from all of that and from even the, my cherished childhood memories to come to another country, another culture. And he just dropped me in the middle of this little Christian Narnia bubble, which was exactly what I needed. And I've seen him do that time and time again. I know several French Christians who came to faith by being foreign exchange students. So one of the side messages I love to say is if as an American and a Christian, or even if you're not in America, wherever you're listening to this from, if you're a Christian, take on a foreign exchange student because you never know how God is going to use you. Doesn't mean they're going to come to faith. Don't necessarily expect that, but expect to God to use you through um, Mm -hmm. your words and your actions uh, with your foreign exchange students. So I warmly encourage that. But God, Amber, God will go to any length to rescue us because if the son of God was willing to consider equality with God, not something to be grasped, but he humbled himself to come down, become a human all the way to death on a cross. If he did that, don't you Mm -hmm. think he's going to go to the ends of the earth to reach you and so many people have a story of saying I came to faith because I was truly seeking God and therefore I found him that would be my husband's story he truly was seeking God and so God revealed himself to him I don't even have that I was not seeking God I was perfectly happy in my atheism I did not have any awareness of a God-shaped hole in my heart even though Blaise Pascal my French countryman said that um i had no awareness of a need for spiritual anything i was perfectly content and happy in my atheism i had no awareness of sin no awareness of a need i was just content Uh, i was so unaware of self uh, that god had to break that little by little and so well and
1: i want to interrupt i want you to pause there because that's the thing about i feel like in, in modern america in the christian world A lot of times we view atheists as just very angry people Um, that that's a blanket statement. So that's not completely fair. But I think as a whole, we tend to think that or um, we really have this idea of, wow, they've really been wounded because it's hard sometimes to imagine that someone truly has no idea of God. But I think more often than not, in American sense, it's bad theology that has taken um or caused someone to proclaim atheism. But that is not your story. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you truly just were who you were. And so kind of flesh that out a little bit for us in the sense of were you angry? Like what was life like? I mean, as an atheist, you were probably just living life
0: like anybody else. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I had researched some of it. So you need to understand, I think for me it was the result of an intellectual quest. Okay. So again, I was, I was still a kid, right? So this is through my 17th year of life. So 17 years, I'm still a kid. However, um, my dad, again, had a huge influence and he was a very strong atheist. And I think for him, there was a measure of anger against God. So Hmm. he had that, but he didn't pass on to me the anger directly, even though again, I do believe we are shaped by our cultural influences way more than we realize. And for me, like we all are the frog in the proverbial tub with the heat being progressively turned on and we don't realize it. We all are. We just don't know it. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the beauty that God has just so graciously um, given me is the ability to experience different cultures so that I'm able to take my own culture with a grain of salt. It still is very much me, my husband would tell you, I'm still very French, but I'm not nearly as French as I was 20 years ago because (laughs) I've had the blessing of experiencing very different cultures, languages and all of that. Um, And and so when you do that, it gives you perspective. The best way to taste a good curry is to have a bad one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. Having eaten Southern Indian food versus Northern Indian food, in my opinion, they are very different. And one I like, and one I do not.
0: <laughs> and and someone else might, you know, gauge them, them differently. Right. But but that's that's what spices do. The best way to experience fresh cinnamon is to have stale one. You know, nothing is worse <laughs> than stale, tasteless cinnamon or spice. And uh, and again, I think we we take a lot of the staleness as being the real deal, and that's what I fight against. And we we want to fight against the staleness, but. I was a perfectly content atheist. I really had come to the conclusion from an intellectual perspective that God could not possibly exist, that it was an invention of man. It was a crutch for the weak. It was the opiate of the people, all of that stuff. Um, but you need to understand something, Amber, that I realized many, many years after I came to faith is that the only experience I had had of the Christian faith was through the lens of my atheist authors. Okay. So of course there was bias. That's right. I had never read the Bible for myself. I had never actually met a flesh and blood Christian. So up until I moved to the states, so I didn't actually know what Christians believed. I only belie- I only knew what atheists said that Christians believed, which was biased. Mm-hmm. What that tells me is that regardless of what you are researching, you want to go to the actual uh, proponents of what you're studying. If you want to know more about Buddhism, go talk to Buddhists. Don't read Christian books about Buddhism. If you want to learn more about Islam, go talk to Muslims. Don't read Christian books about Islam. I mean, do, but not just that. You also want to truly go to the source because that is going to help you see what people actually believe. And so for me, it truly was life-changing to actually meet Christians and to realize a lot of the thought a lot of the thoughts I had about Christians were false because I had been reading it through an atheist lens. Again, humility is in order. And it's not easy to realize that you've been wrong your whole life. At least for me, it's not, because I like to be, right? Just <laughs> an amber, like seriously, right? I'm, I'm just, yeah, anyway, God, God is gracious. But um, I think humility is when you realize, okay, I was wrong my whole life on this. What else might I be wrong on? And Lord, teach me. show me where I'm wrong, show me the depth of my sin. Um, And let me tell you, if you start asking him to show you the depth of your sin, he's going to do that. He does. And it's not pleasant, but it is truly life-saving.
1: Yes. I mean, it is. That's where the reconciliation with God, our Father, truly happens Um, when we really surrender and ask for that. But you come to the States you are with a christian family who is actually engaging the word they're not just culturally christian what led you to finally say okay god i'm going to give you a chance
0: Mm -hmm. desperation i think if i had to summarize it um this it was an entire year so i was with this christian family for a year and god oh amber god god just blows my mind he's amazing uh, in this particular instance, he placed me in a Christian family that just so happened to be composed of the two adults that could most influence me because the dad was very still is obviously uh, very smart, very intellectual. And so he and I would have intellectual conversations where he could meet me toe to toe. And, you know, he didn't place me in a very, in a culturally Christian family, yet, like you said, but with people who had a reason of faith. And that's really what I needed. So he would meet me toe-to-toe theologically, philosophically, and that was a first for me. To meet a Christian who hadn't checked his brains at the door, Was I, I didn't realize that was impossible. Um, and then his wife, um, my American mom, she came from a difficult background that was very similar to mine. And so she could relate to me more on a compassion and an experiential side of things. Mm-hmm. And she was very loving. And so she loved me with her actions and her words, and he loved me by going toe-to-toe theologically. Yes. And that was a winning combination. It And they didn't even mean to do that because they didn't know it met my needs, but God did. So God was really working in the background. So picture months and months of this, of them slowly earning my trust, um, slowly earning the right to speak into my life, slowly loving on me in a very Christ-like way. They weren't perfect, okay? The other thing is, even outside of their relationship with me, these were at the time parents of three young children, and so they were living life, and I got to be a witness of it, and their life was not perfect. They weren't perfect, but they were loving to each other, and Most astonishingly to me, they were very forgiving to one another. When the kids needed discipline, they would discipline them. When the parents, they would fight in front of me and bicker like couples do, but then they would also reconcile. The bickering and the fighting, I saw that throughout my whole childhood. My parents were not really kind to each other. Obviously, they got divorced, but I never saw the forgiving, the reconciliation, um, the way they treated their kids with respect but also firmness, they seemed to know, to have a wisdom that came from beyond them hmm. and that was beyond worldliness or common sense. It was just different. It was a different flavor. I, it was something I had never tasted. I couldn't name. I couldn't pinpoint. But it was intriguing. And they didn't even know that this was happening to me. You know, they just didn't realize that they were allowing me maybe to smell a dish and a spice that I couldn't quite taste. I wasn't there yet, but I was smelling it and it was very intriguing. I did not know what that smell was, but I was curious. And so little by little, they earned the right to describe that spice to me, to tell me its flavors, to tell me its taste, but I still hadn't tasted it. And... I'm a chocoholic, I love chocolate, and I say, if you've never tasted chocolate, good chocolate, I can describe it to you for hours on end, the smell, the texture, the flavors, but at some point, you're going to have to take a bite, otherwise, you will never understand chocolate. It's truth. And I quickly came to that realization that God is that way, God is like good chocolate you're going to have to decide whether you're taking a bite and you're tasting for yourself or whether you're just staying on the sidelines and you're learning uh, from the pages of a book or from other people, all the flavors and textures, but you're not actually taking a bite. And so that's a problem because I also had come to realize that if you take a bite, well, first, you're going to become addicted. (laughs) There's no going back. Um, And second once you've I mean there is no going back because if you reject the chocolate after you 've tasted it, then that 's a very important decision and so mm-hmm. I was very much afraid to surrender to God because again i 'm an all or nothing kind of gal, and so I knew if I chose to follow christ it was it, it wasn't a half hearted measure this wasn't like you know a new piece of jewelry or a new dress I was buying this was like a lifelong commitment, and it was terrifying to me because i 'm I was so, I still am, unfortunately, very self-sufficient that I thought I was doing pretty good for myself. And who knows if God is trustworthy because you see, Amber, there's theologically a big difference between understanding his sovereignty and understanding his goodness. These are two different
1: Absolutely.
0: things. His sovereignty, I pretty quickly got because, okay, for me, it all hinged on the resurrection. A very typical you know, atheist argument. A lot of atheists come to faith. I mean, it's the linchpin of the faith is the resurrection. Paul tells us, right? If Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we are to be pitted more than anyone. Mm -hmm. But I quickly came to the realization from an intellectual perspective, Amber, that the resurrection is a historical fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have a problem because intellectual integrity requires to do something with that kind of information. You can't just... Ignore it, put it under the rug. I mean, you can, but I couldn't. It just it wasn't me. Um, I could only embrace it or reject it. These mm-hmm. were my options. I was too terrified to embrace it, but I also knew it was true, so you can't really reject something that you know is true at that point. That's right. But it's purely intellectual. There's no surrender. So some people would say, all you need to do to be a Christian is to have this intellectual assent to the resurrection. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Because I... Acquired intellectual assent to the resurrection way before I gave my life to Christ. Hmm. Uh, I mean, Satan knows that Jesus resurrected. That doesn't make him a believer. That's exactly right. <laughs> so that was my problem, and it was probably the most uncomfortable position in my life. It really felt like going to bed on a um, on nails. You know, on wow. a rug of nails, because I was restless. I couldn't find peace. But I. I was too terrified because I did not believe in God's trustworthiness or his goodness. I was told about it. My American mom and dad would tell me, but I, can I really trust them with that? And so I have the most pathetic conversion story. I think Um, C.S. Lewis says that when he came to faith, he was the most reluctant convert in all of England. And I kind (laughs) of like to say I was the most reluctant convert in all of France, (laughs) even though I was in the States. And I told God, okay, God, I'm convinced of your sovereignty. I'm convinced that you are God and that Christ is the son of God and he's fully God and fully man and that he died and rose again. That's all intellectual. The step is for me to embrace it for me personally, but I'm not ready to do that because I don't know that I can trust you. Mm. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to take a bite of that chocolate for one week. I'm going to choose to stop fighting you for an entire week, seven days. You've got seven days for me to taste the chocolate, see if I like it. But if I don't, I'm going to spit it out. Can you hear the arrogance of that? Yes, but I think we
1: practice that a lot more often than we care to admit.
0: And so in my arrogance and my 17-year-old self-sufficiency, God accepted that. I mean, the, the meekness, the humility of God to stoop down to the arrogance of this 17-year-old. And Amber, I can't begin to describe to you the physical weight that lifted off of my shoulders that moment because for the first time, I had the freedom to stop fighting from an intellectual perspective what I had known to be true. It felt like the most tremendous Sabbath rest. And at the time, I didn't know those words. I've learned a lot of Christianese that I also need to unlearn. (laughs) But just that rest of this peace and this peace, I I have no other words for it, of like, I don't have to fight this. Like I'm taking a week of vacation from myself because I don't have to pit myself against God anymore for a week. Yes. Best week ever. Uh, like truly being able to embrace what I had known to be true, to be able to dig into scripture um, without having to fight it, without trying to have to find a rebuttal for everything I was reading, but instead to be able to say, yes, that's what I believe. That's what I'm choosing to believe. And it would feed my soul. I was so famished. I had been looking at this banquet and smelling all of those Mm. spices. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm allowed to gorge myself on them. And so it feels good. It really feels amazing. And then, about five years later or so, I'm telling this story to a friend and she asks the obvious question, which is, So what happened at the end of the week? And I looked at her and I went, Oh my goodness, the week is up. <laughs> <laughs> By then I you know, there was no going back. I was fully you had committed. Surrendered, that's right. Completely. Yeah, I'm not completely, I'm still surrendering daily. Well, but exactly. Um, but yeah, like it was, oh my goodness, I, I just I never thought of the deadline because it was so enthralling and so beautiful and so peaceful that it never even crossed my mind. Well,
1: the reality is, though, that you eventually went back home and there were some lonely times Mm -hmm. because any new believer, even if you are living in the States, you know, it takes some effort to really seek out some mentorship, some discipleship. That doesn't always fall in your lap. Sometimes it does, but a lot of times it doesn't. So I can't imagine what it was like going back to a place where you didn't know anyone who is a believer. And so share a little bit about, you know, that next five to 10 years. Once you're back in France, a lot happens.
0: Yes. So it took me about two years to find other Christians. So again, this is all pre-internet, right? So it's not as easy as it might be today. I I couldn't Google anything. There were no websites to, you know, and I I was in a small town, then I moved to Paris and so for college. And so eventually I found a very tiny little Christian church that was composed of primarily elderly people, uh, but strong believers. And there happened to be one family in that church who reminded me a lot of my American family because it was a young couple with three young kids. And so they took me under their wing and they were very different from my American mom and dad, but they introduced me to a concept that was revolutionary to me and it was called Weekly Bible Study.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, again. revolutionary to me too. And it was right? years after becoming a Christian before I began doing that.
0: Oh, wow. I want to hear that. <laughs> maybe you will. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And so anyway, so did that. And then at the same time, um, it was very, it it was not a good season. The the first few years, honestly, a lot of sin, a lot of falling back into my self-seeking ways. Um, So I'm not proud of that season. But what I do know is that it taught me grace because God, you see, there's a lot of people when they come to faith, it looks like after they've come to faith, they never sin again. And they have this perfect life. And yeah, that's not, not my story. I kind of wish it was, but it really isn't. There's definitely a lot less sin in my life today than there was 25 years ago. But in 25 years, I'll tell you that there, hopefully, you know, <laughs> that hopefully still, we've
1: made progress in the right direction.
0: <laughs> which means there's still a lot of ground to cover. Um, you know, if Paul says he was the worst of sinners, I don't know what we, what I should say about myself because it's, it's no better, but... There was a lot of sin and a lot of selfishness and a lot of pride and a lot of really bad choices. Mm-hmm. But God just was faithful through it all and he never allowed me to fall away. Um, he always would put people in my path who who just loved on me, who my American mom and dad stateside would literally like pray and fast for me on a regular basis, I'm sure, because I, I, that's the, you know that's the importance I think of. If you are a spiritual parent to anyone, Um, you have a a holy, sacred duty before the Lord to carry them Mm. in intercession and in prayer because they are your spiritual children. And that's a holy task. Mm. And it's something as as Christians, we need to take very seriously. There's a sacredness to that trust Mm. of raising someone in the faith that is understated and undervalued. And absolutely key. So, having serious, strong, solid, gracious mentors is key. And then daring to start teaching. So, for me, because I had acquired a lot of intellectual knowledge about the faith before I came to faith, I kind of had this wealth of knowledge from the get go as a young believer. I'm still learning a ton. And the more I learn, the more I know I don't know anything. You know, that's the beauty of learning is that you realize it's basically just not even the tip of the iceberg, but um, just this passion for scripture, this passion to dig into it, to dissect it, because I had the French and the English. I've always loved looking at how different languages translate scripture differently. Uh, I don't speak Greek. I don't speak Hebrew, but I have French and English. And so, and I'm able to look up, you know, Greek and Hebrew word roots even though I don't speak it and so to be able to see how the nuances of the French language translate differently than the nuances in the English and yeah to I, I just love dissecting that and so God in his kindness uh, allowed me to start teaching scripture pretty quickly and so um, so that's where that's where I was for a long time is discovering this passion to teach um, and not to put myself on a pedestal above others as the teacher right. but to more like someone who is starving and has found a feast and is inviting others to share in the feast. It's more that hungry attitude of like, I'm starving. I found this. Let me tell you about it. Well,
1: Mm -hmm. and God has specifically designed some people to be teachers. And whether Mm -hmm. or not that is that you're out teaching God's word or teaching something else, I mean, some of us have that in us, where our souls, our spirits our brains truly come alive in the teaching role. And I can see that in you. I'm that way as well. And I have a lot of dear friends who are that way, that it's just really what our soul longs to do. And so we cannot deny that. I don't necessarily, I think it can become prideful, but um, it's okay to say, you know, this is amazing that God has allowed me to do this. And so eventually you and your husband are married. How do you all end up in North Africa? Uh, that's my
0: husband's uh, origins and so we ended up so he's from Africa and so we were in Paris both of us we thought we would live our whole lives in Paris we were both in um, business careers and our son was born and Paris went from this amazing place for a young couple uh, where we both had good jobs we both had a really good social life we were both involved in our tiny little church Uh, life was really good and then our son is born and we absolutely adore him but all of a sudden you know the public transportation becomes a nightmare and Mm -hmm. most of my salary goes into paying a nanny to watch my son because um, there's no room for him in the preschools yet and he's too young and I'm working full-time and so it goes from heaven to hell kind of thing Um, and so we decide that this isn't the life we want because we want to prioritize family over careers And so we felt that, uh, and also my husband really wanted to, he really felt that his um, North African culture would really be good for the, for our family. And it was, I mean, a much slower pace of life and, um, just a better quality of life all around kind of like moving from the big city to the country kind of thing, I think. Yeah. And so we did that. We moved there. Our daughter was born there and uh, we were there for almost 10 years, uh, which were 10 years of really the center of our family life. Cause that's when our kids were little. So we have amazing family memories. Um, God in his goodness graced us with a house in a tiny little village right across the beach. And so literally every day after work and school, we would come home and go to the beach for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, come home with sand between our toes almost every day, um, which is a huge blessing. But it's something that was just very readily accessible there. So we enjoyed that. I did all sorts of things. I taught. I was a French-English uh, translator, interpreter. I did some marketing and communications work. Like I dabbled into all sorts of things kind of jack of all trade thing as long as you don't put me near uh, finance or accounting I think it's it's safe Uh, these are not safe areas (laughs) for me Um, my husband and I joke that he he earns the money that I love to spend you know (laughs) that might be
1: familiar in my family too
0: (laughs) um and so yeah so then we moved to London for my husband's job we were there for some time which was a good experience for our kids because they were they were both French but they never had really lived in France they still haven't to this day so London was as close as it got we were there for some time and uh yeah and like I said we've been here in the States for a few years now so
1: well and that's something that you talk about is how your I don't want to say ability, but the way that you read scripture has been so impacted by living in these different cultures. And I remember reading a book, you know, misreading scripture through Western eyes. And that was something that was very impactful for me just to even think through how our culture does impact the way that we read scripture. And so what would you say are some of the values, some of the Things that you've gleaned from living in these different cultures and how it impacts the way that you view scripture and read it?
0: I think it's the most important part is to have those scales peeled off our eyes and to realize that we are influenced by our culture way more than we realize. And because we are 21st century Christian Westerners, we are different than if we were, you know, first century. Jewish believers or 10th century European believers, of course, we're different. Um, So realizing that, realizing the importance of culture, um, and and that requires an intentionality that requires reading from people or listening to people who've experienced it, who can decipher it for you. It's something I'm learning every day. But for me, it's... um, I'm not Jewish, so that means I don't readily understand the Jewish culture, especially in Jesus's day. So first, to realize that that Jesus was not a Westerner, he did not live the way we do, nor did his people. Like it's fundamentally different. So to realize that, and then to tr- to be intentional about trying to understand to pu- to put away our Western mindset. It's like okay, what mindset do I need to have in order to to start walking? in the sandals of a uh, Peter or, you know, John or any of the disciples, the humility to learn from other cultures. So the mm-hmm. discernment to have those scales, you know, peeled away, then a humility to, to say, because I'm a 21st century Western French or 21st century Western American, I, I need help. I need guidance. I need someone to guide me. And again, because I'm not Jewish, um, I've had to understand from a non-Jewish perspective what it is to enter the first century Jewish culture. And so I know what it's like. So I, I have a lot of trusted theologians or authors that are Jewish, and they help me understand a lot. But I find my greatest help comes from those that are not Jewish. Like me, I have had to take that step of understanding the Jewish culture from an outside perspective, which is what I hope to bring to the audience on the Gospel Spice Podcast is a non-Jewish person's experience into the Jewish culture. And so, uh, for example, the podcast for the first season, which was the lengthiest, it was about a year or so, we dove into the Gospel of Matthew from a first-century Jewish perspective because Matthew is the most Jewish of all the Gospel authors, and he's, he's the one that relies the most on the culture that he doesn't describe. Of the Gospel authors, they're masters of show-don't-tell. They show us a lot without telling us. And so if they don't tell us and we don't have the cultural grid to decipher the implied meanings of what they're saying, then we miss out. So we need them to tell us what they're showing us because 2000 years of non-Jewish Gentile history has come and gone since. And we don't have that. So we've lost the cultural grid to understand a lot of the nuances of the the gospel message. I'm not saying you need to be Jewish to understand the gospels. That's not what I'm saying as Gentiles. I mean, God has allowed scripture to be relevant in every language, every culture, every age. That's right. If you live deep in the country somewhere and you have nothing but basic English and your Bible, that's enough because you've got the Holy Spirit. So you don't need more than that to be saved and to understand the gospel message. However, if you want to start understanding the nuances of the culture, of the meaning of what Jesus says, then you need a bit more than that. For example, my favorite example, the one that transformed my approach to scripture is when I realized what takes place on Palm Sunday. When Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and that's a story all of us think we know inside out, right? So again, it's taking the most common, the most well-known bits of scripture and making them taste different by rediscovering the spices of it. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday, he's actually reenacting the exact steps of a Jewish betrothal ceremony. And none of the gospel mm-hmm. authors tell us that because they, it is so obviously implied in their culture that they give us um, visual clues of it. And that's enough for their initial Jewish audience to read between the lines and see that there's a betrothal right. ceremony happening. But we don't have that cultural grid anymore. And so if I told you, oh my goodness, I was so tired, then I went to Starbucks, now I'm feeling better. You're like, okay, she got coffee. Now she's feeling better, right? That's but I didn't right. mention coffee. And, <laughs> and like a first century Jew would have no idea what Starbucks is, would have no idea what coffee is for that matter. So you would need to start explaining a bit more of the basics before they understood, oh, she was tired. She had a, a magic potion of some kind that makes her feel better. And so that's what Matthew does. There's a lot going on in Palm Sunday and the week of the Passion that are or actually the exact steps of a Jewish betrothal ceremony. And so, as a master of show, don't tell, he shows us, he doesn't tell us. And so, we need to re enter the cultural grid in order to taste the spices of the gospel in a new way. Because I don't need to know Jesus is reenacting a betrothal ceremony to have him as my Lord and Savior. I don't. But when I see it, it makes me fall in love with him even more. It magnifies my worship of him. It makes him so much more beautiful and praiseworthy and magnificent because I know that. He wants Mm -hmm. us to know him more. That is the ultimate calling of the Christian life is to know Christ more. I'm going to pause you there because
1: I'll never forget a sermon I listened to, and I cannot even remember the specific pastor right now, but he talks about reading God's word and how it's actually meant to be read over and over and over again throughout a lifetime because there's so many layers to it that every time you go back over it, you're picking up something new. And that is the beauty of God's word, because you can read it when you first become a believer, and the spirit of God is going to work in you and transform you in some way. And then people like us, 20 years into our relationship, we can read it, and I will never forget when another pastor taught me for the first time, the elements of Passover. For the first time, the bitter herbs and all of that, like oh my goodness, it's so much more than sitting down and drinking of the cup and, you know, eating of the bread. And it was just like, even right now, I have chills all over me because it came alive in a different way. And that's the same thing that you're talking about in this Palm Sunday. So go ahead. It's just incredible.
0: Oh, absolutely. And Passover, it comes at the end of, yes. you know, this Palm Sunday week, you know, Sunday and then Thursday yes. night. So it's exactly what you're saying. Just understanding Passover. I would warmly recommend if you're able as a Christian believer to go to a Jewish cedar before mm-hmm. like a Passover meal it's mind-blowing. You know, when you go to a, if you can find a Messianic Jewish congregation and you can do a Passover meal with them around Easter or whenever. It just is like the four cups, you know, and, and all of those elements are mind-blowing. And that's what, because it blows my mind, I'm thinking maybe it's going to bless someone else. And so that's what I want to do is, is to share the little nuggets, you know, you and I as teachers, that's, that's what we do. We, we dig deep for nuggets, and then when we find them, we want to share them. That's right. Not to make ourselves look good. God forbid that sounds gross, but to make Him look good. That's absolutely right. To glorify uh, the Lord and to, ha- and to
1: be an aid in someone else's walk in glorifying God.
0: Absolutely. That's actually our ministry motto, God's glory, our delight. That's what yes. we want. And I want I'd love to tell you, Amber, that I always delight in the glory of God. Yeah, right. I wish, but I want to. So it's again that prayer of weakness. Lord, I might not be willing to delight in your glory right now, but I'm willing to be made willing. Make me want, make me desire to delight in your glory more than anything. And again, this is the kind of prayer he loves to answer. And it requires death to self and it's not comfortable, but it's worth it. It truly is. is. Well, Steph, as we close out
1: here, will you tell everybody how can they connect with you? I know through Gospel Spice podcast, I am sure that is on all listening platforms. So you just go and search Gospel Spice podcast and you can find it. But if someone wants to connect with you directly, where
0: can they find you? Sure. So gospelspice.com, you will find much more than the podcast. We offer in-depth Bible studies a couple of times a year that we limit for a very small group, about 100 people or. So, and every time we just kind of run out of spots real fast, but a couple of times a year, we're going to open registration for that. We go deeper than the podcast and you can very easily find me, contact me. Um, There's just, um, we'd love to serve you. We have many different opportunities. Just go to gospelspice.com and you'll find all of that. You'll find me on social media. We have a prayer team. Um, You can leave prayer requests. There's no greater privilege than to pray alongside you and to love on you. That's what we do as the body of Christ. And I want to learn from you too. So I can't say enough good things about your podcast, Amber, and um, to be able to learn from one another is a huge blessing. So we are all students as we are. That's right.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for being a fellow
0: sister in Christ. Amen, sister. Thank you, Amber, for all you do. You are such a bright light and uh, many of us are learning many things about the beauty of our Lord by sitting at your feet. And I'm grateful, Amber. Thank you. Stephanie is an example of the way God's grace
1: is enough. His grace to not only save Stephanie from her self-sufficiency, but to equip her to teach others to delight in him through fresh encounters with his word. To help me continue to provide Grace Enough stories like Stephanie's, you can make a donation at buymeacoffee.com forward slash grace enough. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash grace enough. And don't worry, your donation won't really go to buy me a coffee. But we'll go back into the podcast so we can continue making excellent content.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.